Amen. Please be seated. And as you are seated, please turn your Bible to the book of John, John chapter 11, where we're going to be continuing our sermon series through the I Am Statements of Jesus. If you are visiting with us, we're so glad that you're here. Um, we do see the centrality of the Word of God as the way he has revealed himself to us. And so we go through to know who God is, uh, to understand as uh, what he's given to us in this written Word. Um, John chapter 11 is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, I'll be looking at verses 25 and 26 here in just a second. Before we do, um, you know, I'd just like to say thank you to our choir. Thank you to our orchestra for playing. It's a blessing to hear that message. And I just like, can we say thank you to them for their ministry to us this morning? You know, it really is. I know you do it to the Lord. You don't do it for the applause. But on the other side, we, as those who hear it, want to express our appreciation for you. It's something that we feel we want to do. Uh, John chapter 11, I'm going to read just verses 25 and 26. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word, verse 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Now, is anybody's favorite season, think of your favorite season of the year, is anybody's favorite season spring? Do I see some hands? I saw some hands up there. I mean, my favorite, I think, is spring. It's not hot like summer. Kind of makes me think of the, the heat of hell, maybe. When I think of fall, it makes me think of death and, and, and of, of, of um, winter as, as isolating and dark. But when I think of spring, I think of life. And so it's really the only natural, normal one that you want to have as your favorite season, right? But just yesterday, seeing the uh, springing out of, of my garden bed, a dead plant that was there, and seeing new plants just come up right from the middle of it. You know, it was dead. It seemed so dead there. And then now just springing up out of the center of it is newness of life. And it's a reminder to us that God has given to us of the power of death being overcome by the power of life. And as great as that may be, and as an annual reminder for us, how much more do we get that when we come to Easter and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? As we come to this holiday every year, we are reminded that Jesus Christ, though he once was dead, that now he is alive. And we have a reason for great hope. And so today what we want to do is we want to look at Jesus' power over death. And we're going to see it in the work that he does in actually raising a dead man back to life in John chapter 11. We've already heard the story in the cantata of Jesus raising from the dead. We'll talk a little bit of that in a moment. But here we see how it affects another man's life. How Jesus' resurrection is a foretaste uh, for all others who believe in him. But as he does this... He reveals something very important about himself. As he stated in uh, verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection 
and the life. Um, in our sermon series, we've been looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus. I'm taking them out of order today because it is Easter, Resurrection Sunday. Um, but we're looking at the ways that Jesus identifies himself. He doesn't identify himself by the school that he graduated or a job that he does. He doesn't uh, identify himself by his preferences or by his ethnicity or by his marital status, but he identifies himself in the blessing that he brings to the world. And the idea that flows out of that then, the blessing that it brings to the world, in his identity and who he is, is his calling to us of faith and of obedience. Here's Jesus we've seen has been often identified as the most loving person in the world, the greatest moral teacher. And here he is thinking about his life and how it is a blessing to others, the life that he brought to the world. We are often so concerned uh, by who we are and what we like. We're so concerned that our own preferences are met that we often, uh, so often so others can serve us, so the world can bend around us. But here we see Jesus defining himself by what he brings to the world. The truth is that Jesus has every right to tell us to conform our lives around him. And he does at times. He calls us to take up our cross. He calls us to faith. No one has the right like he did. And yet, even with these rights, what does he do? But he calls us to a life of faith by in showing us what he's done for us, showing us the grace that he brings. That's why we think of him as so loving. If we were to think of our identity and how we'd serve others, what a difference that that would make. So he is the resurrection and the life, the one who has conquered death, the one who has brought life. He conquered it in his own um, resurrection from the dead, as long as, just as we've just sung, just as we've considered ourselves. But here we're going to read the story of conquering another man's death, the death of Lazarus, and the hope that he brings a promise to life of all people. Because this is the Christian hope. The Christian hope is not just wishful thinking, not just hoping that someday we will go on to a better place, but something that is grounded in historical reality, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, something that can actually be defended um, as an historical event. This morning we can state the various reasons why we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We don't have time for that. We do believe that. You, there are some books out on our book table. If you have questions about that, how do we understand, how do we really believe that Jesus historically rose from the dead? I encourage you to pick one of those up. There's a book table in the foyer. But as this is the central belief in the Christian faith, we also know that it changes everything. If a man rose from the dead, that changes everything. And it changes your life. At least it should. That's what we want to look at today. How the resurrection changes your life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And if you were to look in your program, you would see that there are five points that are there. Now, I'm only going to do a three. I'm going to do one, three, and five because I had big eyes and big vision for this morning. But I'm going to save those for another day. And so if you are following along, I'm going to skip number two and four. Um, but we're going to look at some of these things we see in the resurrection of a man named Lazarus. And the first thing we see in the way that the resurrection of Jesus impacts our lives, first of all, is to see that because he conquered death in his resurrection, we have a bigger perspective in our loss. 
Verses 1 through 4 tells us the story of the death of Lazarus. Look at verses 1 through 4, John 11. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, for it is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus here receives a message of his friend Lazarus, and he seems to know something about it, so much that he says that this illness does not lead to death. And he says that something is going to happen here. It's the glory of God. It's his own glory. That, that God has something to do with the events going on a few miles from him. And that God is going to display his wonder and glory in it. If you know something about Jesus' life, of his, of his miracles, the way he healed the sick, you would think that he was going to display his glory by going immediately and healing Lazarus of his sickness. But that's not what happened. Look at verse 5. John 11, verse 5 through 7. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place he, where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. So what does he do? He stays two days. It's really kind of a strange thing, right? If you think that Jesus says, I'm going to show you my glory. I'm going to show you the most amazing thing ever. And his disciples say, when? When are you going to show us this, Jesus? And he said, I don't know, just wait a couple days. Then we'll go do that. But that's a lot of what life is, isn't it? That we have these great anticipations of the future. A great anticipation of promise that are to come. And then the time of waiting and fulfillment of that. If there's any glories that are in heaven, it certainly is. That's the time which we live, waiting for that glory in a time of waiting. But eventually they go. Now, in case you haven't heard this story, let's remember what is really happening. Uh, jump down to verse 11, 11 through 15. It, it tells more of this story. Starting in verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he, must, that, that, that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. I mean, we would uh, forgive give the disciples and thinking Lazarus wasn't going to die uh, because that's what Jesus seems to say as he speaks about sleep, as he seems to, to, to delay. But Jesus had a different plan. In fact, by the time that he received the message on the first day, um, I think he knew that Lazarus was already dead. Lazarus was already going through death. What Jesus says um, at the beginning in verse 4 is it doesn't lead to death, but it's not that it wouldn't lead through death. That's because death was not the ultimate destination of which Lazarus and his story was going. And in case you don't know, the end of the story is that La Jesus will raise Lazarus from the dead. Now the story seems clear that Jesus allowed Lazarus to die knowing what he was going to do. That he was going to raise him. He was going to resurrect him from the dead. And allowing him to die and not stopping that would allow Jesus to show uh, one of his most powerful miracles ever, to show that he had the power to raise his people from the dead. 
Lazarus' death was the context to bring hope to Christians for thousands of years. How many times has his death been an occasion for us to, to speak hope at funeral sermons or to pray with somebody as they anticipate their own passing or to point them to hope in Christ? What God did was to attach an unbelievable story to his death. It can be hard for us to think about sometimes. I mean, couldn't Jesus have, have stopped Lazarus from dying? His own suffering, as well as the suffering of his sister's? Couldn't he have shown his glory in that way? And, and probably he could have. That's not what he did. And that wasn't his plan. There, there are lots of tragedies which we face in this life and suffering that we endure. And we can wonder why God would allow it to happen. And most of the time, many of the times, we will not find a reason. And here's why I think this story is important. Because it reminds us that just because we don't know the reason for something, it doesn't mean that a reason doesn't exist. The disciples didn't know the reason. Mary and Martha didn't know the reason, but Jesus did. Once we know about the event here, we see the power of Christ in it. We also see his love, don't we? It's, it's kind of a strange statement. It's tucked in there, but it's, just, it's like a reminder to us. Yeah, he's going to wait two days, but right before it says in verse 5, he waited two days, we see now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When we suffer, we may ask God, God, why is this happening? Don't you love me? Why don't you take this away? Why the delay, God? But yet we're reminded in this, is it even the delay that Jesus loved them? It's not a contradiction that God loves you and also allows suffering and difficulty into your life. Is there a suffering in your life? Is there something that you've endured in the past? Is suffering now? Why does that happen? I can't answer that, but I, but I know what we can do. I know what you can do, that you can see through, grow closer to God in the suffering and through it, that you can say the same thing that the Apostle Paul said, God's grace is sufficient for me in weakness, or, or I have learned the secret of being content and in knowing that there is a story of which God is doing to reveal future gl glory in you. And when you're faithful in it, you may be surprised to see the unbelievable story that God has attached to it. So that's the first thing that we see, is it gives perspective in our loss. Our, our next point, number three in your outline, is that because Jesus conquered death, that we are called to faith. We see this especially in verse 17. Let's look what happens next. And when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had been already in the tomb for four days. A little bit about timing here. Lazarus probably died the same day that the message was delivered to Jesus. In fact, by the time the message was delivered, he was probably already dead. Then he delays two days to go back there. And then on the fourth day, on his travel back, um, Lazarus, uh, that was the fourth day that uh, Lazarus was dead. So again, by the time he got the message, um, I think he knew that Lazarus was already gone. And so because Jesus had waited till the fourth day, it was clear that Lazarus was dead. There was no sense that he was uh, just really, really sick. There was no sense that maybe the, the soul was hanging around the body just waiting to get in. No, Lazarus was dead, dead. And there was no question about that. Verse 18 goes on to say that Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. I think this is very important because there were lots of witnesses to what Jesus was going to do. Remember how he said that he would be glorified in raising Lazarus? A number of people would see this great miracle. They would glorify God in it. 
His opponents would, would threaten to kill him over it. It's a reminder to us of the things that, that God, that Jesus did, he didn't do in secret. In fact, even his resurrection was not something that was done in secret. One of the, the uh, historical evidences for the resurrection is the hundreds of people who saw him after he raised from the dead. People who even gave their life in testimony that they saw Jesus actually raised from the dead. It actually happened. People saw it. Just like they saw Lazarus here. Then starting in verse 20, back to John 11, we read this. Then when Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Mary said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Here comes Martha to, to meet Jesus. And some people think that, that Martha was complaining that Jesus didn't come earlier. In my studies through this passage, I don't know that's necessarily the case. Here you have Martha who's lost her beloved brother. She's in a state of grief. And if you've ever been in a time of grief, it's a time of great uncertainty. As we grieve, we bounce around, don't we? A lot of um, what we could have done to make things better, things that, 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 that we could have done, um, and also things that we, you know, also coming to resolution that we did all that we could have done. In many ways, I think she shows, though, faith in Jesus, doesn't she? Because she knows that if Jesus was there, her brother would not have died. That's a clear testimony, she says. She said that she believed uh, that Jesus had the power to heal. It was sad that her brother had died, but she had a bigger hope and a greater faith and a trust in God because she knew that God still answered prayers. Whatever you ask for from God, God will give you. Then verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again, the resurrection at the last day. The Jews at the time had a sense of a resurrection that would come. Many of them did, and, and Martha um, evidently had that same belief. And what does Jesus say to her? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus shows her that there is life after death, but that life is only found in him. In fact, he says that his followers will never die. The, the point is they have eternal life. There is something constant of Jesus' followers which goes on forever from the point of their belief, the point of their faith in him. They will be spiritually alive forever and ever. And when he, rises, um, the, the, when he raises the dead on the last day, in the union of that soul and that body together, they will live forever. He shows her that hope for eternal life can only be found in him. There's a lot of optimism that when people die, they, they automatically go to heaven. They automatically go to a better place. But that's not what Jesus says here. He says that he gives eternal life to his followers. He says that he is the only place where eternal life is found. You see that in the next statement he says in verse 26. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And that's a question for every one of us here today. Maybe you come here visiting. We're glad that you're here. And then let me ask you as you visit, do you believe this? Do you believe that you can live forever if you believe in Jesus Christ, the spiritual life that goes on and on forever? It's the most important question to ask. I mean, that, that, that belief is going to shape your, your life. If Jesus Christ raised from the dead, you know, then we see there is something beyond his call as Lord and Savior. 
And if you haven't believed, you know, today can be the day that you do believe. Today is the day you can have eternal life, but you have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look inside of your bulletin, there's a bookmark that's there. It says, he is risen. It talks about what faith in Christ looks like, and it even gives an example prayer, something to take home and to, to meditate on if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus, to meditate on, to think about what would it mean to give your life to Christ. If you're ready to do it now, uh, you can fill out this bookmark. You can give it to me on the way out. You can uh, put it in the offer. Just come and drop it up in the offering plate. We can contact you later. But you see the prayer that's indicated on there. It's to say, Father in heaven, thank you for loving me more than I could ever imagine. Thank you for your son's life, death, and resurrection for me. Forgive me for my sins, which I have done, and all that I have not done to honor you as my God. Please come into my life and take control of the throne of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, that Christ may live his life through me. In Jesus' name, amen. And may God make that be a prayer that, that, that you would pray today if you have not yet trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to that. Jesus defeated death, and he is the one who has defeated death. It's a call to faith in him. Well, moving towards the end of the story into the fifth point, I'm going to re start reading in verse 28 through 37 and tell the rest of this story. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now where Martha had met him, when the Jews who were with her, when, when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then moving on to verse 38, we see that final point of the resurrection of Lazarus. And we see the newness of life that Jesus offers to all who come to him. Starting in verse 38, we read that Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So he took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him. And let him go. Here we see Lazarus raised from the dead. And what a picture for us of the newness of life. The resurrection of Lazarus is a picture for us of what eternal, looks like, eternal life looks like as we believe in Christ. Firstly, we see that Jesus reversed all the death and decay in Lazarus. You know, Martha was concerned that the smell would be too much, that he'd been dead for such a long time. That's because death does some pretty nasty stuff to the body, and it happens fast. There's no evidence of it here. Lazarus comes out whole. 
Secondly, we see uh, Jesus calling out Lazarus personally. He calls out his name. He knew him in love and he wanted to give him new life. He called him out personally. And the third thing we see is he directs that the grave clothes come off. Lazarus shouldn't have to dress like a dead man. He should be free to live. He tells him to take the grave clothes off. The Bible tells us that, that, that death exists because of sin. In Good Friday, Jesus Christ died for the sins of his people. And that's why Resurrection Sunday is so important. Because when he rose from the dead, he showed that indeed he had conquered sin. He conquered the grave because he had first conquered sin. His death on the cross was, was bearing the sins of his people. And his resurrection of the dead was proof that, had been paid, that those had been paid for. That there was no punishment left. That he'd already taken it all on himself. And it was all gone. And so when we believe in Jesus, that power of sin also is taken away from us. Just as, Je- just as Lazarus was free from the smell of death, so believers are free from the guilt and the shame of sin. Just as Lazarus was call, called personally and specifically from the grave, so Christ has died for our specific sins, and he calls us out of sin, he calls us out of rebellion, and he calls us to himself by faith. To have fellowship with him. And finally, just as Lazarus put off his grave clothes, we see our call to put off our, own pat, our old patterns of sinful behavior. We're called to a new way of life. Forgiven of sin, set free from the power of sin, and enabled to live a new life. Why would we go back to a pattern of sin and death being so set free? Why do so many continue to live in sin and old habits when they've been given new life? Except for maybe as proof that they never really believed, that they never had new life. But think about that. Jesus is calling you to a newness of life. As you believe in him, you have life in him. That he gave his life so that you could have life, a spiritual life, that you could please God, that he rose from the dead to prove that you can walk in that newness of life. And if Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, we have an objective reason for our own hope. An objective reason, an historical reason, grounded in history, the event that changed everything. Jesus, the Bible calls Jesus the first fruit of the dead. Why could Lazarus be raised from the dead? Only because Jesus would later be crucified and rise from the dead. His resurrection, the resurrection of himself on that first resurrection Sunday makes our eternal life possible. Again, if you haven't believed in the Lord Jesus, look to this. Once you believed in him, receive him as your Lord and Savior, asking him to forgive your sins. He will. He will do that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, what a hope that the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives. A hope that is not based on wishful thinking, but one that is based in objective history. And oh God, that this truth would shape the way that we live. God, why do we choose sin instead of life? Help us choose life. Help us live in light of what you have done. And Father, knowing that, help us to share that life with the world, that others would know what it truly means to be free, to live for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you see our closing hymn written on the screen?